SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the CUSA Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. We had a short slate this past weekend with just one game that actually managed to get played within Conference USA. Uh, So we're going to break that down and talk about some other news and notes within CUSA, as well as do some good old-fashioned speculation. Uh, regarding some of the top jobs within the conference and uh, then get into previewing the uh, set of games that hopefully will get played this weekend. Joe Lonergan and Eric Henry here with you once again. Eric, it's uh, been another crazy week for uh, those of us who cover college football. So how's it going on your end, buddy? Man, this has been, this entire year has just been incredible in terms of just deciphering what is fact what is fiction what's kind of sort of maybe what's gray area man i i am ready for covid to be done for a, a litany of reasons but probably the most minute of which i'm sure we can all agree on is that it'll make this endeavor of uh working college football you know a little easier for us to to come in here and opine you know we won't sound quite as uh as clueless you know we come in here and do these podcasts and we, and we give you six games to to watch and then uh directly after we tape like five of them get postponed or canceled right like at this point it's just a matter of like refreshing twitter every like 15 minutes to see like what's the next game that actually got canceled <laughs> like i'm i'm more surprised now when games are actually like getting played as opposed to not like here's all the games that got canceled just last week within conference usa uh western kentucky and charlotte originally postponed to tuesday ended up getting canceled uab and southern miss canceled mtsu and F- and uh, fau canceled Rice and UTEP canceled. FIU and Louisiana Tech canceled, which we kind of saw that one coming a mile out. The only game we did get was a UTSA beatdown of North Texas, 49 to 17. The legend of Sincere McCormick continues to grow in San Antonio. 23 carries for 251 yards and two touchdowns, and then add two Frank Harris touchdowns through the air to that as well. Uh, UTSA looked really really good in this game i would argue one of the better games they've had all year granted we know north texas has continued to have defensive struggles throughout the course of the season and uh, that's exactly what happened in this game um but like for me just utsa got off to this incredible start we're leading 28 to 7 at halftime and just never really slowed down and again like i i deem this big dad energy since since McCormick has come back from the birth of his kid he has looked damn near unstoppable yeah Joe and let's also shout out UTSA defensive man Lorenzo Dantzler who joined him in welcoming uh, a child into this world so want to make sure we spread the love all the way around here Joe really quick before I kind of get into my thoughts on the game you know it's rare that that we kind of get outside of conference USA and talk other other conferences did you happen to see the performance I'm assuming you did by Jarrett Patterson of the Mac I did. Yeah, it was a big day for him. Uh, The only reason I mentioned it, Joe, is if it wasn't for him scoring a billion touchdowns and rushing for, you know, a a (laughs) billion yards, Sincere McCormick's day would have been the best day in college football. You know, it's almost just kind of like I I, I tweeted out earlier this week that, you know, I think it might have been that day, as a matter of fact, that Sincere McCormick was the best running back in college football that most people hadn't heard of. And unfortunately, you know, uh, his day of 23 carries for 251 and two touchdowns gets overshadowed by Jarrett Patterson, who 
I can't remember if he tied or broke the NCAA record for rushing touchdowns in a game. So it just kind of goes to show you his luck there. But as you mentioned, yeah, I mean, he has been really a, a great story. Great to see a hometown guy. You know, we mentioned he being from, from Judson High School in suburban San Antonio. Both he and Rashad Wisdom kind of, um, or not kind of, but very much bringing that UTSA program back. And Frank Harris, you know, it almost went a little under the radar to me. I, you know that he he missed uh, the three game stretch where, or I shouldn't say missed. He he was injured and kind of got banged up in and the three game stretch that he he missed earlier this year. But he's played ten games, and I had to take a look at his numbers and realize that Frank Harris has been a really effective quarterback. If you're looking for maybe a number two or number three best quarterback in CUSA behind Grant Wells, you're probably looking at him and Frank Harris, a dual threat. You know, nineteen and twenty four for a buck forty four, the two touchdowns, and then over a hundred on the ground. As for North Texas, I mean, this is one that. I, on paper, I don't think that North Texas talent-wise is that far behind UTSA. Just a matter of fact that they just couldn't stop Sincere McCormick. Really, the most notable thing for North Texas is Jalen Darden, who, Joe, when you look at their stats, I had someone ask me on Twitter the other day what I thought of North Texas' quarterback situation and uh, the fact that Pro Football Focus had ranked it as the second-best quarterback situation in all of Conference USA. And my thought on that was, that's one way of looking at it. And of course, a quarterback is only as good as his receivers and vice versa. But Jalen Darden has 58 catches for 800 and something yards and eight touchdowns, uh, if my memory serves me correct. If you total up the first or the top six or seven receivers outside of him on North Texas, you still don't equal his receiving output. So I think Jalen Darden is the probably the second best uh, quarterback in Conference USA in terms of having him to throw to makes any quarterback look good. But all in all, you know, this was very much a UTSA day. Kudos to that program, seven wins on the year. And uh, yeah, they're definitely trending in the right direction. Absolutely. That's a funny description of Jalen Darden, by the way. But um, no, I, I completely get where you're coming from. And it's going to be really interesting to uh, see how this one-two punch of Frank Harris and Sincere McCormick continue to uh, develop over the next couple of years for UTSA. You've got to think that program is in a really good spot, especially considering Jeff Trailers only had like less than a year to really work with everything there. And knock on wood here, we won't be in the middle of another pandemic next season. So curious to see how they continue to develop and how the rest of the conference uh, responds to the uh, developments in San Antonio over the last year and a half or so. Um, and that honestly wraps up last week's recap because that's the only game we got to watch. Uh, so hopefully we have better luck next week. But uh, before we dive into previewing next week's slate, uh, just a little bit of a fun diversion and talking about what our top five CUSA jobs would be. Um, for this conversation, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, market, talent returning, NIL opportunities, uh, you know, and just overall resources, fan experience, that sort of thing that really makes a job enjoyable because <laughs> Lord knows there's a lot of jobs within uh, the G5 and FCS level that are really hard projects to undertake. Um, so Eric, I know this conversation was sort of your idea based on uh, some, some comments made by uh, Peter Burns on Twitter the other day of ESPN uh, really enjoy his stuff. But um, yeah, if you want to start us off here, what are your top five CUSA coaching jobs right now? Yeah, Joe. So it was something I, I, I thought was pretty interesting when I saw, you know, Peter's uh, tweet there. And I definitely thought it was something that I'd apply to Conference USA, right? So I'm going to kind of take it in no particular order, not a one through five, just five jobs that would appeal to me if I had my pick. 
you can hit me with a, with a bias here, but I'm going to take FIU and here's why. It's the same selling point that you would make on any job in Florida, specifically South Florida. You are in one of the top five, top 10, you know, and top 10 may be stretching it. Let's probably say top five recruiting hotbeds in the nation in terms of share high school talent in your backyard. That's one. I think the NIL opportunity is something that's really interesting, Joe. And I kind of said to you off air, you know, I, I, I don't want to slander any specific companies, so I, I'll, I'll refrain. But if you look at some of the, the sponsors for, say, Middle Tennessee, right, those are going to be different than maybe some of the um, sponsors you get from FIU or FAU. And not even that those are sponsors who are currently sponsoring them now, but you'll have broader potential to be sponsored in South Florida as opposed to, you know, some of the things may get in Murfreesboro. And, and, and I want to uh, point out there that while Murfreesboro is a 45, 50 minute drive from Nashville, they're still two very different places. So, so that's one. The, the second one that I'm going to go with, and I'm going to stick with the South Florida theme is FAU for a lot of the same reasons. Also, once again, to be, you know, pretty transparent here, uh, the per capita income, in Boca Raton is amongst the highest in the nation. I'm not sitting here saying that players are going to get paid. What I am saying is that the marketing opportunities to market at, you know, Boca Raton uh, BMW or whatever that may be, right? Or, you know, some clinic uh, is probably going to be higher than you would get elsewhere. Now, number three, got to go with Charlotte. I think you have a young fan base. You have a young school. Uh, when you look at the the team situation, Chris Reynolds, Victor Tucker, uh, you know, it, it, now, of course, I'm going to be the coach's team. So it's not going to be Will Healy, but I think it's the perfect Joe, kind of the perfect city that's in a, excuse me, the uh, university that's in a city that's, that's growing. Kind of reminds me a lot of UCF in a sense. And in Charlotte's a much bigger city than Orlando. But, you know, you have a young alumni base that's living near school, n- near the campus, and just needs that right mix of, you know, the right team, the 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 right um, players to get behind, the right energy, and then you, you kind of have, you know, no pun intended, a gold mine there. I'm going to go to UTSA. Again, same thing. Huge fan of San Antonio as a city. You look at what Jeff Trailer's done there. There's clearly a, a huge opportunity as far as recruiting the San Antonio area um, that I think is there. If my memory serves me correct, it's the 203, hopefully a uh, uh, my guy Jared Kalmus doesn't uh doesn't listen to the podcast and told me I get San Antonio's area code wrong. I believe it's the 203 area code there in San Antonio that you know you have a, a huge recruiting base. And again, I think being in a major market, it does present its own challenges, Joe. Uh, especially when you look at, you know, let's look at like, for example, Vanderbilt in the SEC, right? You know, if if you're if you're in a Nashville, um you're probably dealing with a school that doesn't have, or not probably, you're dealing with a school that doesn't have a long tradition of winning. Same thing with UTSA. And then also the legacy school in Nashville or in Tennessee is probably going to be UT, right? Same thing in Texas. You know, your legacy schools are going to be your Texas, Texas A&M, so on and so forth. But I think once again, a young growing fan base, a young emerging school that has a lot of potential there. And then a fifth one that I'm going to go with Joe, and this one may surprise you. I'm going to go with ODU. I remember that, and unfortunately, forgive me, uh, his name is escaping me right now, but we had the uh, the recruiting expert from Rivals who came on in the offseason who said that if he had to pick an emerging high school uh, um, recruiting base that uh, is really emerging, he said that kind of that uh, that Virginia area there. 
And I think a lot of people there um, are, are are high on on Old Dominion, Norfolk area. And once again, a, a school that, you know, when you look at the quarterback situation, I'm very high on Hayden Wolf, even though we saw him in a, in a four game sample size. Any quarterback is a, a, a true freshman can sling it 70 times in a game like he did. You almost forget about that because it's been an entire season since we've seen ODU football. I think that's something to pay attention to and could be really interesting. And just uh, again, you know, that's a program that's not too far removed from winning 10 games in a year under Bobby Wilder. So those would be my five. Uh, if I had to give ones that kind of narrowly missed out, I think middle, you know, because you do have that um, Nashville being adjacent, you could probably apply the same principles. And then also I, I got to give some love to kind of the old uh, quote unquote, you know, older, more established fan bases. So like your Louisiana tech, for example, you're, you know that you're going to get 18, 20,000 fans every game in, in La Tech. The, they're, they're always a good team. While you don't necessarily have the same NLI um, in terms of the, the marketing things there, you know you got a, a good fan base. So those will be the ones. But, yeah, th- those will be my, 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 uh, my five there that I mentioned. <clears throat> yeah, I think we're pretty aligned on what the top jobs within this league are. I, I would definitely put FAU and FIU in there for the same reasons that you mentioned, there's so many, you know, I I think they're just in an interesting spot being so close to Miami and so many different opportunities there, as far as name, image, likeness. And uh, like you, you know, talked about extensively, the talent pool in South Florida is bananas good. So yeah, that's those two jobs, regardless of COVID and, and everything that FIU's had to deal with this year that's a really nice place to be if you're an up and coming football coach or, you know, or Butch Davis, who is not up and coming, but still a very good coach, obviously. Um, Yeah. You know, I was going to say the same thing about old dominion. I think that Virginia area in terms of developing high school talent is just getting so much better that I think to leave them off of a list like this would be somewhat of an injustice. And like, you know, as good as Liberty's playing this year, there's still a very young program, which, you know, only leaves you UVA and, and Virginia Tech as far as in-state competition, um, which is, you know, less than like if you were in Miami, for example, then you would have the Canes, the Gators, the the Seminoles, you get the idea. Um, I would definitely put, um, you know, I would honestly put Marshall in there somewhere just for a similar reason of like, you really only have West Virginia University uh, to contend with in terms of competition for those kind of things. Um, and like as long running as that rivalry between Marshall and West Virginia is like, there are a fair amount of, of Marshall fans in that state. Um, obviously. So I, I would put them in that, um, you know, for the same reasons. And as we've seen with doc holiday over the course of his time there, he's cultivated a decent recruiting pool out of the really talent rich areas like South Florida. And it's become a hotspot for really good transfer players um, as of late as well. So um, yeah. And then rounding out the top five, um, I would probably say, I mean, if we're, if we're going one to five, this would probably be five, but I'm going to say UTSA just because it's in such an interesting time in the program's life cycle right now. Right. Like obviously Texas is, extremely talent rich in terms of high school football talent. Um, you know, San Antonio, it's in that weird spot where like it's close to AM, it's close to to UT, but I think UTSA just has an interesting opportunity to become like 
the team of the city, if that makes sense. And I think they've definitely taken positive steps towards doing that. Um, you know, going back to like when Frank Harris uh, took that job. Um, so yeah, I would say those are my top five. I don't really need to, to, you know, beat a dead horse in terms of what you already talked about with why Miami is such a good place to be and why Boca Raton is such a good place to be. If you're a high school football recruit looking to capitalize on, you know, all the, the up and coming rule changes in college football. But yeah, no, I think that totally makes sense. That was a fun little exercise. Appreciate it. Hey, Joe, really quick. want to ask you on one quick thing. I noticed you had Ian Marshall in there. Was that just kind of your nod yeah. to, you know, a traditional fan base? Cause I, I, I think, you know, for me, I, I know that I, I was torn between Marshall and La Tech and probably didn't want to go to CUSA East heavy there. Um, but I'm, you sure. can't, you know, you can't um, uh, underscore, you can't like, overlook what Marshall's been able to do over traditionally. So I just was curious your, um, your reasoning for Marshall. Yeah, no, I, that was kind of my reasoning was basically just like you go back and really just look at the history of all these teams that are in conference USA in, in general, COSA, when you compare it to, you know, P five leagues, for example, it's obviously significantly younger, but if you just take the entire history of Marshall football into account over the last 50 years, I don't really think like you can compare them to, uh, you know, really any other program within COSA in terms of that, um, going all the way back to like the FCS days. And then obviously kind of the, the, you know, the success that the team was seeing pre eighties and even into the sixties, but I don't know. I, I just think like they're in a unique position when you compare them to the rest of the league in terms of, the the history and the established fan base that kind of goes along with it yeah you know I, I couldn't agree with you more there and one quick thing that i think i'll add on fau is their facilities right now you know and i unfortunately i haven't had a chance mm-hmm. you know 2020 kind of slowed my progress across making my my journey across cusa but fau's facilities right now joe are you know i i had a chance to see liberty stadium and that was one of the top, quote unquote, G5. Of course, you know, they're an independent, but quote unquote, G5 facilities. FAU, the new Smith Center, there is a gorgeous facility. And FAU Stadium is one of the top G5 stadiums in America. So that's one thing that any coach, I mean, uh, you got to give the Owls credit. If Willie Taggart chooses to go ahead and, and depart from the Owls soon enough, you know, uh, it, it, they'll have no issues drawing coaches for the time being because of their facilities there. All right. With that, then we jump into one uh, important piece of news coming in from uh, the Southern Miss front this week. And that is that former uh, Tulane offensive coordinator, Will Hall, will be the next head coach of that program. Emily Van Buskirk of Underdog Dynasty, of course, joins us now to kind of talk about what uh, she sees in Will Hall. Uh, Talked to Coach Hall earlier in the season, uh, did a little profile on him, which you can go back and read on the site. But uh, Emily, first of all, thank you for joining us on your first episode of the Underdog Podcast. And uh, second, uh, what do you think of this hire by the Eagles? I, um, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to to be here. I'm just glad to be talking football in the middle of the day. Um, and second of all, regarding the hiring, you know what's funny is I didn't realize this was all going down until Eric texted me. And as soon as he did that, I felt like I was behind. So I immediately reached out, texted Coach Hall. I texted a bunch of the Tulane players and coaches that I know um, just to see their thoughts on 
where he was going, if this is a step up, if it's a step sideways, you know, how they think it's going to fit. And I got some pretty interesting reactions from Tulane staff and players. So I think it's been exciting for him, but I'm very curious. I know he's a Mississippi guy, you know, but I'm curious to see what he does with this program. I mean, you guys know more about it than I do. It's definitely been a struggle for them, but I'm, I want to hear what you guys think. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely been an interesting couple of years at Southern Miss for sure. And I think um, our listener base who roots for Southern Miss would definitely be uh, quick to disagree with us. But um, I don't think you can kind of deny everything that's happened when uh, Jay Hobson was the head coach there. Um, I, think it, I think Eric and I agreed that the real steep decline kind of happened when he tried to bring in Art Bryles. And pretty much everybody was like, <laughs> no. But, um, I mean, if we're talking to strictly on the field stuff, I think it, it really kind of just comes down to uh, bad luck. I mean, Jack Abraham, yeah. who is obviously a very good player, um, you know, just keeps getting injuries left and right. Um, and he's now opting to sit out the rest of the year. Um, and then if you look at their defense this year in particular, I feel like they had half of their, you know, guys you would consider impact players opt out so uh you know eric feel free to add on to that but it's uh it's it's definitely been a tumultuous couple of years for that program yeah so i'll piggyback you know where where you left off there in terms of the situation jack abraham you know choosing to opt out and then transfer but one of the reasons kind of why i wanted you know emily to join us and one of the things that i find interesting is i'm kind of curious you know emily you had a chance to you know Mm-hmm. exchange texts with coach hall and i know you've interacted with him on on you know various uh occasions here and there i'm just kind of curious with the vibe you kind of give him as far as his personality one of the big things with jay hobson was that as as joe mentioned you know he tried to hire art bryles it's never a good job it's, excuse me it's never a good idea to hire someone um kind of without the consent of your bosses especially someone with the track record of art bryles a but b mm-hmm. he made a concerted effort to recruit outside of mississippi and that's one thing that obviously Will Hall, you you would expect, will make a concerted effort to hire within Mississippi, being a Mississippi native. Uh-huh. So kind of want to ask you, Jess, just overall, you know, broad question from the mm-hmm. the interaction you've had with him, because, you know, neither Joe and I have had any interaction with uh, with Coach <laughs> Hall. Just the the kind of the vibe you get from him as far as, you know, his, his personality and, you know, um, I guess being a younger guy, being a 40-year-old hire, how that'll kind of play. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, my interactions with him have been phenomenal. He really is a football guy. I mean, and that goes back to his dad, you know, Bobby being this big figure in the state of Mississippi, a a really unique coach, but like a stickler for the game. And that's kind of how Coach Hall was brought up, right? So in doing all my digging about his past and talking to him about his coaching journey, which is kind of what my article talks about, he's very much like this group of guys He's part of a text group. I don't know if I mentioned this, but he's part of a text group with a couple other coaches in Division One. Um, one of them is Matt Drinkall, the tight ends coach at Army. The other two, Mike Uramovich and Jeff Knowles, they're the offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator at Temple. And they all kind of started this unique path by playing small ball or coaching small ball. So they started in high school and you know smaller schools and worked their way up to D1, which is unusual sometimes for coaches sometimes they usually go in they started the GA and they stay in D1 because they feel like that's where they have to be so the thing about Will Hall that I love especially interacting with him is he he just loves the game literally that's all he does and yes he's young so the players love him he's a genuinely good guy somebody that you would follow out onto the battlefield and that's what the two lane players told me yesterday when I spoke with some of the um his offensive players 
is they just said he's a genuinely good guy. They're not upset that he's leaving. They're really happy and excited for him to get to take over a program and build it his way. Um, and you saw that, you know, at Tulane, how well he did with, you know, the rushing yards that he set a record in and, and the play calling itself, especially in the last two games, the utilization of the tight end position that they would throw. They had two tight end touchdowns in that last game um, that came out of nowhere. And that's the kind of play calling that makes him so special and unique. And I think it's going to bring that forward attitude to Southern Miss. So I'm excited to see what he does there. Um, and most people are rooting for him. Like I've never heard people say ill words against him, uh, players or coaches or, you know, other media members. So he's just a, just a good old boy. Love him. Emily, I got one last thing before I send it back to Joe and uh, and close it up. But you, you've covered a couple of Tulane games. Uh, I've only covered uh, FIU Open the 2019 season uh, at Tulane. That was one that uh, FIU took on the chin. I believe the final score was 42 to seven that game. But you've covered a couple of Tulane games as well, and mm-hmm. obviously you have the interaction with Coach Hall. Um, I'm not asking you to go pure X's and O's, but just from an offensive okay. standpoint, from what you've seen. Can you kind of give Southern Miss fans, you know, maybe kind of what they can expect as far as, you know, uh, a Will Hall who both is in both his years at Tulane, his offenses have averaged over 32 points per game. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is he, he likes to attack in that regard. I think um, he was only at Tulane for two seasons, which is crazy because it feels like he was there longer given the amount of points that Tulane puts up in the yards. He set a program record for rushing yards last season. I think it was 3,162, something like that. Um, and, you know, he, he did beat the Golden Eagles. I think it was twice they, they beat him, um, and they set a stadium record of 66 points. That was a, a note that I made for this. So what you're going to see is kind of a high-octane, unique, but, um, you know, multidimensional and faceted offense. He, he – he is an X's and O's guy, and he does. He's a big football guy, but he likes to utilize and pull plays that you're not going to see all the time. So he's, I think, he's going to come to Southern Miss. He's going to recruit, you know, the kind of kids that he's coached in the past, which are coachable kids, which are athletes. He likes to utilize, you know, like I said, tight ends in different positions. He does rely heavily on the on the run game, but he dials up some wicked, wicked um, passing plays. And we saw that, you know, with a young quarterback this year. He, he was able to coach this kid and, and get the best out of him, which is hard for a freshman um, quarterback, but he, he's been doing phenomenal. So I'm excited to see more points for Southern Miss. I think that's what they can look forward to. Appreciate that, Emily. I think one of the players that us and a lot of Southern Miss football fans are excited about right now is uh, Frank Gore Jr. at running back for the Golden Eagles. You just mentioned the success that he had with the run at Tulane. Uh, do you think you can kind of replicate that success with, uh, you know, the son of what I'm only what I'm only assuming is <laughs> the oldest running back in the history of football at this point. Yeah, people like to say stuff about Frank Gore, but let's be honest, dude is a goat. He's been doing this for a long time, and he does it well, right? And he's like a tank. So I think I haven't seen his son play, but I've heard you know things about him that he's very very similar. And that, you know, but you get this case with these guys, like, look, we had Barry Sanders' son at Stanford, you know, Barry Sanders Jr. And the problem when you have a dad like that, you know, a great, a greatest of all time running back dad is there's a lot of pressure and there's going to be, he's going to need the space to carve out his own path, you know? Um, So I don't think people should expect him to replicate, you know, the, most rushing yards, 15,000 rushing yards, like in history of the NFL, I think you're going to have to give him some, 
some leeway and, and let it develop, you know, and I'm not sure how much Coach Hall will use him, especially as a, as a young player. Um, I don't know what his MO is with, you know, like with, at Stanford with Barry Sanders, they, his freshman year, he didn't even play because Coach Shaw is the kind of guy that doesn't play freshman, like Andrew Luck, like Christian McCaffrey. He sits them and he, and he lets them learn the playbook before he throws them in there. So I'm not sure what, what Coach Hall will do. I, I have to imagine being a new coach, he's going to try and utilize him as soon as possible. But he loves the run game, and he's, you're definitely going to see um, a lot of dialed up run plays with a kid, a talent like that, you know, coming in. So um, I'm excited. I'm definitely going to keep my eye on it. I didn't realize that he was there. So this is going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, I think us and, and every other casual observer of CUSA is uh, waiting to see what what F, uh, <laughs> I'm, what I'm now deeming an FGJ does. We'll oh, gosh. <laughs> Emily, thank you so much for your insight into uh, Coach Hall. And uh, we'll obviously have you back to see how the rest of the G5 landscape pans out over the next few months here. Anytime. Thanks for having me. All right. That was Emily Van Buskirk. Appreciated having her on. Uh, let's dive into a couple of other uh, quick news and notes from CUSA. First of all, Western Kentucky's quarterback room went from being one of the most crowded in the league to literally completely empty. Um, obviously, Tyrell Pigram will be gone following his one season at, uh, at Western. And now Davis Shanley and Kavaris Thomas, both in the transfer portal. Um, you know, I think this is interesting to me because obviously one of those two would have probably inherited the reins next season. Um, I, it was just a matter to me anyway, it was just a matter of like, which one of them is going to enter the transfer portal. Cause then that, you know, leaves the other one to be the starter, but they're both gone. So I did not see that coming. <laughs> um, you know, I yeah. think basically they just kind of have to start from scratch now, which is a super interesting spot for Tyson Helton and company to be in. Yeah, I think it's interesting. And obviously, you know, we can't forget that you do have the um, rule that is allowing players this, this year may not accrue to their eligibility. So should Piggy T decide he wants another go at it uh, in Western Kentucky, he could be back to uh, to fill the void to give you know Tyson Helton one more year to uh, to fill the stop gap. But it's a, it's a great point you make, Joe, in just a sense that they're really young behind uh um tyrell pigram so it'll be interesting to see how that situation plays out i think the biggest thing is that uh, you know both of those guys were mike sanford guys right so you know just really kind of seemed like the writing was on the wall especially last year i don't know if you felt the same way joe last year entering the quarterback situation uh with ty story the fact that he won the or excuse me i shouldn't say he won the job um steven duncan there we go his name was escaping me for a second steven duncan won the mm -hmm. job but the next guy up was ty story you saw he's able to hang on to the job and go from there lead the tops a great success this year you know same thing you bring another grad transfer so it just seemed as if ty uh, if, wow ty story if tyson helton was more comfortable from what he saw outside of the program than with those two guys so it did seem like the writing was kind of on the wall that those two guys you know two years in a row you don't get a chance to be either number one or number two in that they look for greener pastures. Yeah. I mean, it, it's still just strange to me in that you bring in somebody like Kavaris Thomas, especially who's the highest rated recruit in the history of the program. And we saw him for all of like 12 snaps. Like I, you know, it's just, I, I really thought like, should Pigram decide to move on? I would have thought he would have been like, the guy so that's that's super interesting to me 
Um, but then also like, I, I do hear what you're saying though, based on last season when Steven Duncan won the job and subsequently got hurt. The fact that, you know, Ty story was the, um, seemingly easy selection for Tyson Helton to kind of take the reins there. Um, you know, that, that should tell you, you know, all that, all that, uh, fans need to know about the development of both Shanley and Thomas. So, um, yeah, I guess onward and upward for both those two guys wishing the best, but, um, like we just said, Tyson Helton's more or less got to build a QB room from scratch over the course of the next seven or eight months here. Um, with that, then let's talk about one more piece of news. And that is that FIU and Charlotte will not play this week. And as a result, uh, Western Kentucky and Charlotte will play on Sunday. Uh, this just came out of the CUSA football office in Dallas. Conference USA has announced a change to this weekend's football schedule. WKU at Charlotte, which had been previously scheduled to play on Tuesday, December 1st, has now been rescheduled for Sunday, December 6th at noon Eastern at Richardson Stadium. The game will be available on ESPN3. Along with this schedule addition, the FIU at Charlotte game that was scheduled for Saturday, December 5th, has been canceled. A final determination of the matchups for the last weekend of the regular season December 10th through 12th will be made no later than Sunday, December 6th. So it looks like we'll be getting some more uh, announcements out of the league office over the course of the next four or five days here. Yeah. I mean, it's just a tough situation all the way around. It's what we open the season or excuse me, we open the show with as far as talking about the effects of COVID on this 2020 college football season all the way around. We know that Western and Charlotte were scheduled to play. We are taping this on Wednesday, December 2nd. We know that Western and Western and Charlotte were scheduled to play yesterday and, you know, thought that that game may have happened, um, was not able to take place because of COVID issues within Charlotte. Uh, good to hear that Charlotte will, you know, hopefully have those issues resolved in time to play on Sunday. As far as FIU goes, the situation is they're still lacking bodies. You know, they, they, um, they finished the Western Kentucky game with 41 available players of the of the 58, if my memory serves me correct, that they started with. To kind of give you an idea, against Western Kentucky last year, they played 70 players. This year, they played 51. So it just goes to show you how many bodies that they are down. Also, you know, the report from Brett McMurphy was that they have COVID um, issues within the FIU program. I haven't had a chance to double back and talk to the folks at FIU to verify that. But all in all, just know it's been a tough season all the way around, whether it's been injuries or COVID for FIU. And then Charlotte, you know, hopefully they'll be able to get their issues all squared away and they can get that game in on Sunday. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a weird year, to say the least. <laughs> so with that, then let's talk about some games that uh, we could potentially see get played this week, uh, starting with Thursday, December 3rd. We have North Texas hosting Louisiana Tech at uh, 6 p.m. Eastern on CBS Sports Network. North Texas favored by one point heading into this game. Um, this one's a tough call. I think Louisiana Tech's the better team, but they've been uh, on the sideline for a number of weeks now, uh, whereas North Texas actually got some time on the field last week against uh, UTSA, although that defense is really concerning. I think I'm going to pick Louisiana Tech for the upset here um, just because I had good luck with picking an upset last week with uh, UTSA in North Texas, and uh, um, I, I think they could have, they have the potential to pick up where they left off, at least offensively here. At this point, Joe, I feel like we should just lead every preview with 
we don't know because at this point it's like you don't know who's gonna play you almost don't know you know once again just a, a factor of covid i'm gonna go with north texas i think they're due for a bounce back game not that i don't think that louisiana tech is a more complete team however if you look at the season the way it's gone for north texas austin Ani, jason bean they have a down game, and then it looks like, man, Seth Latrell's back to square one as far as his quarterback situation, and then inevitably one of the two guys bounces back. The quarterback situation for North Texas, the dreaded or in the quarterback uh, in your uh, your two deep has been added. You're going to see Bean or Ani, which means you'll probably see both, but I do think they'll find a way to rebound and get the win. In agreement on that one. Let's talk about some Saturday games then. We have number 21, Marshall, hosting Rice at uh, noon Eastern on ESPN plus should be a fairly easy win for the thundering herd who are favored by 23 and a half heading into this one. Uh, the combo of Grant Wells and Brendan Knox has been spectacular all throughout the year. Rice uh, really just haven't really been able to get going following the uh, delayed start due to COVID and everything else going on there. But um, yeah, I don't really see a scenario where Marshall loses uh, this game. Same here. You know, Rice is a team that in a normal year definitely would have been a dark horse candidate for me as far as having a chance to contend in Conference USA West, but just don't see any way that they are going to be able to overcome uh, a Marshall team that really is on a mission. And again, Rice, they just haven't played enough games this year to really assess, you know, whether or not that they may have lived up the potential that, you know, they may have had coming into the year. But yeah, Marshall, more complete team. Brendan Knox, Grant Wells, give me Marshall. Let's talk about Charlotte and uh, Western Kentucky then. Um, like we just talked about, that game going to be on ESPN3 from Richardson Stadium in Charlotte with kickoff scheduled for noon. Um, I'm picking the tops here. I think when we talked about this game last week, um, I don't really want to pile on too much to what I already said, but um, just because Charlotte has been on the sidelines for so long, similar to the situation that Louisiana Tech's in. Um, I feel like it's going to be easier for Western Kentucky to kind of get in a rhythm. And uh, of course, now that their offensive line is in better physical shape than they were a couple of weeks ago. And of course, Gage Walker actually can get in a rhythm uh, from a rushing standpoint. I think they have the uh, opportunity to beat Charlotte here. Oh, man, I am torn on this one because overall, I think Charlotte's probably the better team. However, you look at the team that's played the uh, more games, that's Western Kentucky. The team that's played more recently, that's Western Kentucky. If this game is going to happen, I, I think I got to go with the tops, you know, for all the reasons that you just mentioned in terms of the offense seemingly getting in a rhythm, Gage Walker, Tyrell Pigram finding at least some sort of, uh, you know, rhythm on the ground the passing game still isn't quite there yet but the defense specifically you know d'angelo malone juan jones devin key all those guys hopefully kyle bailey will be back as well again it's not that i think that charlotte isn't a more talented team everyone who listens to this podcast knows how much a fan i am of victor tucker big fan of chris reynolds as well but it's hard to really pick a team that hasn't played in joe has it been two months since since uh it's been since halloween uh almost so you know <laughs> yeah it, it's it's hard to really pick a team that's been that extended has had has had to you know endure that extended of a layoff so give me western kentucky right and then we have georgia southern hosting florida atlantic at 6 p.m eastern on espn plus uh the uh georgia southern eagles favored by two and a half heading into this one um i'm actually going to pick fau from what we've seen of fau on the field this year they just look 
really, really strong. And uh, of course, you know, we'll, we'll kind of leave to the Sunbelt guys to dive into uh, this subject in depth, but uh, Georgia Southern still kind of dealing with some changes in the coaching staff. They just let their offense coordinator go. Um, so while of course the, the triple option, we don't expect them to add any new wrinkles to an offense that's 200 years old. Um, but I still think FAU's got the uh, <laughs> the the edge in this one just from a uh, talent perspective. I think this would be a much closer game, again, given a normal year and normal circumstances. However, as you mentioned, Georgia Southern just made a change at the offensive coordinator spot. That offense has been, you know, really underachieving. Going against a surging FAU defense led by Jim Levitt, I think that FAU has all of the, you know, really the tools and the potential, or I shouldn't say potential, but all the tools and the recipe needed to win this game. BJ Emmons will be out. Malcolm Davidson will get the lion's share of the carries or should, you know, along with James Charles. But I I just think that FAU, you know, really surging defense playing well. Give me the owls. We were supposed to get a a UTEP and Southern Miss matchup as well, but that has been canceled. Uh, Of course, with UTEP being, um, well, just the entire El Paso area having uh, COVID issues. So obviously positive vibes to uh, to them. But that is going to do it for this episode of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast. Thank you again to uh, Emily Van Buskirk for joining us for a little bit. We'll definitely have her back on at a later date. And uh, if you want to check out more G5 football content, underdogdynasty.com. Subscribe to this podcast on on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hopefully we are in your uh, 2020 wraps. Uh, I just checked mine out and it's a lot more Disney stuff than I imagined it would be. But that's that's on me. We'll uh, we'll talk to you real soon, guys. If you want to follow us on Twitter, it's at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore at Eric C. Henry underscore. And of course, at Underdog Dynasty. Uh, Be safe, be happy, be healthy. We'll talk to you next week. Happy football watching. 